In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear brothers and sisters, dear seminarians, dear faithful, St. John the Baptist represents for us priests, for you religious and seminarians, everything that we should be in the beginning, the middle, and the end of our vocation. He was the greatest man born of woman because he had the vocation of being the preacher, the first preacher of Jesus Christ. We have that same vocation of preaching Jesus Christ, and he should be, he must be, a model for for us. Right now, I am at the middle of my vocation. Uh, The seminarians are at the beginning of the vocation, and older priests and religious would be at the end of their vocation. St. John the Baptist, as I say, represents to us how we should live our vocation at each of its various stages. So let's consider these stages in the life of St. John the Baptist so that we can see how he exemplifies for us that model for the perfect living of the religious vocation and the priestly vocation. We know that the beginning of St. John's vocation, his call, happened, in a sense, even before he was born. The angel Gabriel predicted the conception of St. John the Baptist to his father, Zachary, and foretold the role that he would play in the coming of the Messiah. This announcing of St. John's vocation, in a sense, put a lot of demands on, on this young child that was to be born as he was growing up. He, of course, was told the story about the apparition of the angel Gabriel to Zachary. But St. John did not hesitate to accept his calling when he came of age. We know um, that this is true from the fact that while he was still young, he went out to the the desert and prepared himself for a long period of time for his life's role. This time in the desert was like what, for us, is our seminary formation. Um, We know why St. John went to the desert and what he did there in order to prepare himself for his vocation. And we have to do similar things here at the seminary and to get ready for uh, their life as a religious or as a priest. St. John went into the desert primarily in order to separate himself from the world. He knew that to fulfill his role, he had to be away from the world. Those who love the world are simply not able to preach Christ. The world, as we know, hates Christ. The world's incompatible with Christ. And that's why uh, detachment from the world is so necessary for anyone who's looking to follow Christ, to hear a vocation, and go after that life-serving Christ. And this is, by the way, why we put seminary in, seminaries in, in very dry and remote places of, of the world in order to train seminarians. So there were two main things that St. John the Baptist did when he was in the desert in order to get himself ready for his public preaching career. He prayed and he practiced penance. If a young woman wants to become a spouse of Christ, she has to develop a life of prayer. And if a young man wants to become another Christ, he must develop daily habits of prayer. And this is exactly what St. John did. 
this is what we try to do here. We have a rule that establishes certain times where everybody has to pray. And we try to inculcate in the seminarians and the brother novices this habit of living a life of prayer. St. John also practiced penance. He mortified his flesh. And he knew that this was necessary in order to strengthen his will. It requires a great willpower in order to follow a vocation and persevere in that vocation for the whole of your life. Those who give their lives to Christ must practice a very great self-control. They must develop their ability to submit their wills to the will of God and to the will of their superiors. And this ability is developed by controlling the impulses of our nature, by controlling our passions. The impulse that we have for comfort, the impulse that we have for eating food, the impulse we have for wasting time, the impulse we have for pleasures. All of these impulses must be brought under control so that we can direct our person to Christ and not to other things that detract from our service of Christ. And we know how well St. John did these things. Our Lord himself wants to point out specifically today the mortification of St. John the Baptist in today's gospel. He says that St. John was not clothed in soft garments. He wasn't wearing the garments of someone who leads a comfortable life like those who live in palaces. We know that St. John wore a garment of camel's hair over his body and he had a leathern girdle that he wrapped around his waist. It was like a chastity belt. And we read about St. John the Baptist's diet elsewhere in the gospel. We read that he was eating locusts and honey, um, a diet that, that I think a lot of people would tire of very soon, get tired of eating locusts and honey day in, day out for years. And the angel Gabriel announces to, to Zachary, a part of his prediction is that St. John the Baptist will not drink wine. So St. John the Baptist was extremely mortified, and the end result for him was a very great self-mastery, a great control of his will. He was not a reed shaken by the wind. Rather, he was like this upright oak tree um, that does not budge when the violent winds come. And we're going to see later how this formation of St. John the Baptist, this perfect fulfillment of the ideal for a seminary formation, resulted in his triumph at the end of his life. But in short, at the end of his formation in the desert, St. John was perfectly prepared to become a preacher of Christ. He was detached from the world, he was prayerful, he was mortified, and he was a model of self-mastery and so also of virtue. This is precisely what we hope that our seminarians have become when the day comes for them to be ordained to the priesthood or when the day comes for them to make their profession or renew their profession. This is what we're striving for in their, their formation. So we should not be surprised that when St. John began his mission of preparing the way for Christ, when he entered into the middle stage of his vocation, that he did it most perfectly. He led the people to Christ, and he preached the truth 
without fear. So let's see how he did these two things. First of all, he led the people to Christ. St. John the Baptist, throughout his entire public ministry, was entirely focused on preaching Christ to the exclusion of his own interests. He was wholly focused on that goal. He only cared about promoting Christ. He did not care at all about promoting himself. And for this reason, when the people were drawn to him and the people came to him, he taught the people practices that would lead them to accept the Christ when he came. And when Christ came, he told them to leave himself and to follow Christ. He said to the people, do penance, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He had them confess their sins. That was part of this word penance. What penance meant for him was confessing your sins. And afterwards, he would have uh, baptized them in the River Jordan. This baptism was called by the gospel a baptism of water unto penance. And the baptism for, uh, we know it wasn't um, a, the, the sacrament of baptism. It was the sacramental of baptism. It was a, it was a sacramental but for the disciples of St. John the Baptist, it was a symbol for them that they were embracing a new mode of life, that they were changing their style of life. They were now going to adopt a spiritual life. He was teaching them the spiritual life, and he was having a ritual that would induct them into this spiritual life. He knew that it was only by adopting such a life that people would be disposed to accept the Christ when he came. And the Gospel tells us about other episodes in the preaching of St. John where people would come up to him and ask him questions, and he would teach them how to practice virtue. He would tell them to be honest. He would tell them to be just. He would tell them to be charitable. So he was teaching them precisely all of these virtues that would help them accept the Christ when he, when he came. Now, because of his preaching, because of his powerful example, he was an extremely powerful figure, St. John the Baptist be became extremely popular. Um, people came to him in droves. People were leaving the towns, and they were going out to the desert to, to listen to this incredible preacher that had risen up. Many people were going through this baptism uh, that St. John the Baptist was giving them, but what's extraordinary is that it seems that this popularity had absolutely no influence on St. John the Baptist in his preaching and his mission. His popularity did not turn his head in any way. I mean, imagine if people are coming to you and thinking that you are the Messiah. They're really wondering, are you the one that has come? Are you... Are you the, the, the one that's sent by God that we've been waiting for for centuries upon centuries? St. John could have used that fame for his own purposes. But he's constantly saying, no, I'm not the one. I'm not even worthy to untie the shoes of the Messiah. I'm just, a, re, I'm just a, a voice crying in the wilderness. I'm definitely not the one sent by God. He said that our Lord had a baptism that was far superior to his own. He assist, insisted time and again, consistently, that he was not the Christ. And when our Lord appeared, he pointed him out as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He did absolutely everything he could 
to get people to leave himself and follow our Lord. And of course, this is the whole point of the delegation in today's gospel. St. John the Baptist knows who the Messiah is, but his disciples are not yet convinced. And when he's in prison, some disciples who are extremely faithful to him are still reluctant to leave St. John and attach themselves to our Lord. So he tells them in a very delicate way to, to get them to attach themselves to our Lord. He tells them, go ask him if he's the Messiah. So that in the hope that they will then finally leave him and attach themselves to Christ. So this is, of course, the, the whole of, of what we must do when, when we enter into our public ministry, when, when we be, become priests or <clears throat> when we make our profession as religious brothers, we must be wholly focused on promoting Christ and, and not ourselves. We must have before us continually these, these words of St. John the Baptist, which kind of summarized his whole life. He must increase, I must decrease. Then St. John, in the middle of his vocation, he also filled, fulfilled that vocation magn magnificently in the fact that he preached the truth without fear. It seems like he had not a shred of human respect in him. He had this pure intention to preach Christ and the truths of God, the law of God, without fear of the consequences. He did not hesitate to defend the law of God. He did not try to make himself loved by the religious leaders. He did not say to the people what he thought would please them, but he rather said to them what they needed to hear. His language to the Pharisees was particularly striking, especially when we see in the gospel how much people were in fear of the Pharisees. They were trembling in fear at the Pharisees. But St. John, he's, he calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them uh, you know, the equivalent of a, a pit full of snakes. He told them, your bloodlines mean nothing. It doesn't matter that you come from Abraham if you do not perform spiritual works. And in the end, we find him again and again being very straightforward with the leaders of the people to point out their spiritual faults and speaking kind words to the publicans and the soldiers. And this was a foreshadowing of what our Lord himself would do. In this respect, our Lord and St. John the Baptist are exactly the same. When Herod, the governor of that region, committed um, a horrible form of adultery by taking his own brother's wife, by taking Herodias, the, the, the wife of his brother Philip, to be his own wife, um, while his brother was still living, St. John rebuked Herod. And he did not just rebuke him for that, but also for other things. Because St. Luke tells us that he rebuked Herod for all the evils which Herod had done. And I don't, I don't think I have to tell you how necessary it is today that, that we not dumb down or compromise on the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we actually tell people the truth about the law of God. And we not hide um, the, the Ten Commandments. We not hide our Catholic identity in order to make it acceptable to a world which is in a state of apostasy from Christianity. There seems to be so much insecurity today about the rights of God and the teachings of our Lord, so much fear of standing by the truth and preaching the truth regardless of the consequences. And it's kind of ironic that it also often concerns people who precisely are in the state of adultery. I mean, this is a recent controversy. Uh, can we tell people in adultery that they can't come to communion anymore? 
If they haven't left their, their state or um, agreed to live as, as brother and sister, of course, it, we, we, must, we must be able to say these things. We must say them in charity. We must say them in prudence. But we cannot back down on the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was not a scrap of that kind of fear in St. John. And he was, as we know, he was even willing to put his neck on the line for it. And this brings us to the very end of his vocation, the end of his life, which is somewhat portrayed in today's gospel. The greatest triumph of the greatest man born of woman came at the end of his life. The real worth of any person is seen when they are in the greatest duress. And I think it's true for every single one of us in our room that if you look at the course of our life, there's always going to be some sort of climax of suffering and difficulty that will happen in our life. Sometimes we suffer more, sometimes we suffer less, but there's going to be one time, perhaps one day, perhaps one month of our life, when our sufferings will reach their climax. The greatest suffering we will experience in our entire life, and that point will really determine or manifest um, our real worth. It will, uh, it's that time we will either fail to, to rise to, to that challenge of our virtue, or we will show forth this full worth of our virtue and also, for us, of our formation. How good our formation has been. How well we live our vocation. So, when we come to the end of the life of St. John the Baptist, his virtue is manifested to an incredible degree. He has this this uh, terrible struggle with a very, very wicked woman, Herodias. This woman hates him. He's trying to convert Herod. Herod is listening. Herod is struck in his conscience. St. John the Baptist wants to convert even Herod to Christ, wants to make Herod a Constantine before there was a Constantine. And yet there's this wicked woman, Herodias, that he's up against. And what is remarkable about St. John is that he is not looking for any reward in this life whatsoever. His whole attention is focused on the reward that is to come. He's not looking for any consolations from um, this life, from his past service of Christ. He's stuck there in the prison. He's been shut up. He's not allowed to preach publicly anymore. But he's not striving to get out of prison. He doesn't try to escape from prison. He doesn't ask his disciples to help him out. He doesn't ask for people to send him gifts and letters. You know, send me me a nice meal. The prison food is horrible. Uh, These sorts of things. He doesn't want to ask for some sort of popular protest movement with Herod, sort of leverage his popularity to, to force Herod to release him. He does none of these things. He does absolutely nothing for his own advantage. And the one thing that he does is to continue his vocation. He continues to send his disciples, the very last of his disciples, to our Lord in the hope that they will leave him and remain with our Lord. And he could have had the disciples say to our Lord, John asked that you deliver him from prison. Go to, go to, to the Christ and tell him to get me out of prison. Tell him that I was preaching him these past years. That if he has any success, it's because of my preaching. 
Tell him to get me out of this prison. You know, this is not what I expected from, from all that I've done for him. This would have been entirely selfish and uh, completely misrepresent the vocation of preaching Christ. St. John is not looking for that at all. He's not asking like the, the, the two sons of thunder would have asked for, for Herod to be struck dead by an act of God. He's not looking for that. He's not seeking for earthly advantage. Consider all those lonely days of St. John the Baptist in prison, day after day, sitting there, and no doubt wondering what's going to happen. And his realization with his deep insight of what's going on with Herodias and Herod, I think he knows he's not going to win against Herodias. He knows Herodias has this absolute grip over Herod. And he's not going to be able to release that, that grip. He's not going to be able to convert Herod. And day after day goes on. And perhaps there was just another day, just like any other day. St. John is praying in, in, in the prison or continuing his, his spiritual routine that he had practiced in the desert. Because his formation has never left him. And the guards come. And they say... We've been, we've been commanded to cut your head off. And he says, is it Herodias that asked this? He's like, yes, it is. It is. And he says, here I am. Here I am. St. John the Baptist is the perfect model for us in answering the call to give our life to Christ. The beginning, the middle, and the end of his vocation. The beginning was good, the middle was good, and so when he came to the end of his life, the end was perfect. Having his head cut off at the end of his life did not bother St. John. He was not looking for fame and glory in this life. He had never been looking for it. He was only looking for fame and glory in the next life. He was not looking for the crown of a monarch. He was looking for the crown of a martyr. That's the crown that he preferred. And so the acts of the executioner falling on his head was not against his wish, but it was according to his wish. Needless to say, our world today is in desperate need of young men and young women who are willing to follow the example of St. John the Baptist. And this is what we, we few who are here at the seminary or following the vocation must precisely strive to do. As priests and religious, we must lead a spiritual life. We must have a solid routine of prayer every day of our life. We must uh, be willing to mortify ourselves, do acts of penance and submission of our will to our superiors, separate ourselves from the world, forego worldly entertainments and the slavery of the screen that is so common today. We, we also have to be willing, like St. John the Baptist, to give our lives wholly to Christ, to do everything to serve him and not to serve ourselves, to speak the, the truth of Christ to everyone, no matter what the cost, to attract others to a life of prayer and penance, to accept as our reward the reward that will come in the next life without ever looking for whatever rewards might come in this life. So let us pray today to St. John the Baptist for perseverance in our vocations, whether we are at the beginning, the middle, or the end. 
we know that in his dwelling place in heaven, where St. John now is in glory and receiving his eternal reward, he still has that same desire that he had on this earth. He wants all to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. May his intercession sustain us in our vocation and grant us many more holy vocations so that we can help fulfill this desire of St. John the Baptist. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.